0: Good morning, everybody. If I've never had the chance to meet you, my name is Scott, and I do get to be the pastor here. That was, uh, what a blessing that gift was. And you're going, well, the Rockies are horrible. Yeah, I don't care. I'm one of those kind of fans. I am a true diehard. I, I think it makes me more Christ-like to root for the Rockies than somebody else. So. But uh, um, See this symbol on the, s- the screen here, that you know, what we're using for the O in our, in our detox series. How many know what that symbol means? It's the international symbol for biohazard or toxic material. So the, I- anywhere you go in the world, you'll see that symbol if something is bad for you. It's, it's toxic. You um, see on the, the next slide here, the definition of toxic is this. It is anything that's containing poisonous materials capable of causing sickness or death. That's kind of a working definition that we're going to keep over the next few weeks as we do this series and we kind of unpack the different things. But you guys have seen this before, right? Sometimes they use the, the skull and crossbones to say, you know, this is toxic, so maybe you... It's your can of bug spray, so you make sure you don't ingest it, or gas, or whatever it is. And so you see, you see that, and you think, eh, toxic chemicals. Um, I saw this picture on the... I don't know if you can read that or not very well, but it's a, it's a, a lake that had been so toxic because of algae in there. And they're saying, don't, don't get in this water, don't drink it, don't fish in here. I mean, have you ever seen a sign like that before? No swimming, no fishing, no drinking of the water, right? Because it's toxic material. They do that for a reason, to protect us. So today, we're starting a series called Detox, as Grant was talking about. And if you were to detox your body, many people, that's kind of a popular diet. We call it the Detox Diet. And so you try to, you through, through sweat, exercise, the right foods, maybe fasting, you're, you're wanting to flush out all those bad toxins in your body so that you can get physically better, stronger, etc. This series is not about the physical part of detoxing our bodies, but the spiritual side, those unseen spiritual forces, those unseen spiritual toxins That truly come in and and destroy our lives. Over the next several weeks, we're going to talk about toxic influences. You know, namely the world, the flesh, and the devil. Scripture talks about. And then the week after that, we're going to talk about toxic relationships. How many ever understood a toxic? You get a toxic relationship. It's important. The Bible has much to say about how bad relationships can ruin your spiritual life. Um, We're gonna talk about toxic words, toxic habits. And we're gonna finish with talking about toxic faith or toxic beliefs that we can get into our life that actually destroy us spiritually. Today, we're gonna talk about overcoming toxic thoughts. How do we overcome toxic thoughts? The Apostle Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 1, verse seven, he said, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love, and say it with me, a sound mind, or a self-control, a mind that is self-controlled. And so God has given that to us. If God has given believers a, the spirit that gives us, you know, not of fear, but of power, love, and self-discipline, self-control, a sound mind, How do we learn to do that how do we learn to overcome toxic thoughts how do we learn to overcome these things that distract us in our life because here's the truth like it or not right our lives are shaped by our thoughts good or bad your life is shaped by what you think you are what you think ultimately do you know the average person thinks 10,000 thoughts a day 10,000 different thoughts go through your mind. And if you were to look at at the physical organ of the brain, there's chemistry that goes on there and chemicals that move these thoughts. When we're talking about our thought life or we're talking about the mind, we're not talking about just the organ of the brain. We're talking about what that produces and how God has given us a mind to think with and that to understand what we think about directs the course of our lives. And healthy thinking... If you can kind of think about this all day with me here this morning through this message, is healthy thinking is, I think, twofold. First of all, it's, it's a habit that we need to learn. To have healthy thinking, it's a, it's a habit that has to be learned, but it 's also a battle that 's got to be fought. It's a habit to learn and a battle to be, be fought. And I 'll tell you this: I struggle with negative thinking. I do I'm, I'm, All of us do to some degree. We struggle with some form of wrong thinking. Some people call it stinking thinking. Have you ever heard that before? You struggle with stinking thinking. You have this, your mind, it's so easy to get negative. It's so easy to feel sorry for myself. It's so easy to be critical of of people. It's so easy to be critical of life and, and go to despair rather than walk and be positive. I think God wants to... Help us there this morning. Look what it says in Proverbs 23, verse 7. It says, Be careful what you think, because your thoughts run your life. The King James Version says, As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. That's a more modern translation. I like that saying the same thing. What we think about, our thoughts run our life, so we need to be careful. And I had this thought for you that, that I wanted you to try to. Grasp this morning as we dig into how do we overcome toxic thoughts. Your thought life, if, if you can picture a train car, a train, the first car in a train is what? It's the engine. Your thought life is the engine of everything in your life, it is pulling everything in your life. You have your thought life is the engine. Then you have your feelings and your emotions. So your thoughts determine your feelings and your emotions. Your feelings and your emotions determine your behavior. And guess what? Your behavior determines consequences in your life. So thoughts are pulling everything. So my thoughts, good or bad, are now determining how I feel. How I feel determines how I act and behave. And how I act and behave determines consequences. So good or bad, right or wrong, That's just a fact, that's what the scriptures is teaching us here. We spend a lot of time trying to change how we feel. If I could just feel different, so that's why we drink too much, or that's why we shop too much, or we do anything that we possibly can because we don't like how we feel. So we'll do whatever we can to try to change our feelings. Sometimes we'll huff and puff and we'll work harder and we'll, we'll think we're gonna do the right things and try to change our feelings. You know what scripture teaches over and over? I need to change my thoughts. When I change my thoughts and my perspective, then my feelings change. Then my behavior changes as well. Jesus said this. He said, all these evil things begin inside people in, inside people in the mind. Evil thoughts, sexual sins, stealing, murder, adultery, greed, Evil actions, lying, doing sinful things, jealousy, speaking evil of others, pride, and foolish living. Now, some translations say it begins in the heart. But if you understand the original language, heart and mind really go hand in hand. It's the same word. It's the seat of your emotions, the seat of your thought life. And it determines how you feel. That's really, really what that means there. And it's the old adage, garbage in, garbage out, right? If I have garbage coming into my mind, then I'm gonna live out that garbage in my life. There, it's, it's impossible to for good thoughts, right thinking to produce bad living. That's impossible. Same, same thing, bad thought life, it's gonna be impossible for that to produce good living and right kind of living, the kind of living that God wants for us. And the truth is, bad thinking... It's the reason we get into trouble in the first place. Our thoughts get us to where we're at in our trouble. Toxic thinking. It needs to be unlearned. Toxic thinking needs to be unlearned. It, uh, I was thinking about this. There's so many unseen forces in our life and, and conversations and, and powers and, and, and things pulling us in so many different directions that are influence, influencing us when we can't even see it sometimes. If you have a... You drive out of uh, the mountains, you come down Lookout Mountain. What's the first thing you see when you come over the Lookout Mountain out of gold and you 're on I-70? You see the city, right? And depending upon the time of the year, when you see downtown Denver, what, what always goes with downtown Denver? It never makes all the paintings or great pictures about downtown Denver. What is it? It's that brown cloud. That we're all breathing in, even now as we speak, we're breathing carbon monoxide. We can't even see it. Toxic things we breathe in and we have to deal with on a daily basis. Um, There's a new big thing. The the scare is, is, you know, many years ago they thought it was a good idea to put fluoride in the city drinking water so that we'd all have nice and strong teeth and never get cavities, right? Can't get kids to brush teeth? Let's put fluoride in the, in the drinking water. What's the big thing now? People realize too much fluoride is bad for you, and it's toxic. So like those physical unseen things that are influencing us, same thing happens spiritually. The same thing happens to us emotionally when we don't even, even realize that. God's goal for our life is found, it's not on your notes, but it's Romans eight twenty nine, And it says, those God foreknew, he predestined us to be conformed to the likeness of Jesus. So God's goal for every person's life in this room, it's not your success or happiness, it's that you become like Jesus in how you think, act, and speak. That's what it means to follow Jesus. He's our leader, he's our savior, he died for us. He rose from the grave, went back to heaven. He's coming back one day to ultimately fulfill his kingdom. In the meantime, we're making disciples. We are becoming disciples and growing and following after him. So God wants us, if Jesus was living in me, how would he think and act and speak in every situation, deal with every person? It's important that we understand that. that That's what God wants for us. So if I'm going to become like Jesus, the first place I got to change is in my thought life if I'm gonna become like Jesus, and I know you wanna become like Jesus. I know you want the kind of life that he wants for you, that fulfillment, that full life that he said he came to give us. So how do we detox our thought life? How do we detox our thought life? I found this picture on the internet that I thought was worth showing you. This is uh, one of those things that if you were to detox your whole life, not just your diet, But get toxins out of your life. you got to remove the bleach. you got to remove, you know, I don't know what the pot and pan. It must mean you're not a cooker anymore or whatever. But no, what that is is that particular pan, if you cook in it, releases toxins into your food. So they want you to go through your cupboard and get rid of everything that possibly could be toxic in your life. Well, I think we can do that spiritually as well. Kind of go through the cupboard of our mind. So the first thing I would tell you this. You can write this down. How do we detox our thought life? Identify and capture toxic thoughts. I need to identify and capture toxic thoughts. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4 and 5. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Can you put that first part of that verse back up for me for a second? Look at this. There's obviously a battle, right? He says, The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. So if I, if I have a weapon, that means there's some sort of battle going on. There's a war that's happening. And he says the weapons that we have have divine power, God's power, a godly power. And what does this divine power do? It demolishes strongholds. That word stronghold is an important word to understand. A stronghold is... Um, when the enemy comes into your camp or into your territory and sets up a stronghold in your position, it's a, it's a military word for uh, understanding that, that the enemy is taking root, taking place, taken set up shop in, in your territory. And so for us to understand that is to to say that these, these have powers to strongholds, to destroy these strongholds, the power to, to bring them down, if you will. And he says, how do we do that? Well, it's, it, a stronghold is any thought that is setting itself up against the knowledge who we are in God, the knowledge of who God is in our life. And he says, we do that by taking it captive, taking it prisoner to the obedience of Jesus. So there's a battle. Scripture describes our battle with the devil in this way, that the devil is a liar, he's a deceiver, he's a thief, he's an accuser, and he's an intimidator. So the devil's going to use lying thoughts, deceiving thoughts. He's a thief, so he wants to come and steal God's good things from your life he's an accuser, you'll continue. When you hear that voice over and over and over accusing you that you're, you're not good enough, you didn't do this, you didn't do that, and you hear that over and over, he's trying to intimidate you with accusing thoughts. So how do we go through the cupboard of our mind, if you will, and get rid of all those things that are bringing toxin, toxins into our life? How do we identify and capture them? I'm gonna give you five areas of toxic thoughts. That these areas set themselves up against the knowledge of God. And we need to bring down these, these strongholds in our life. The first one would be anxious thoughts. Anxious thoughts. Anxious thoughts are any thoughts that are bringing fear into my life. So look, look at, think about your life. Where do you have fear? Where do you have those what if questions? But what if there's not enough money? What if this doesn't work out? What if my health? What if, what if, what if? When those what if thoughts begin to play over and over and over in your mind, a stronghold is starting to be built of anxious thoughts. And we're told over and over, we're commanded by Jesus to not be anxious. He's, he talked about that. So I, he, he tells us the same way that he tells us not to steal, he tells us not to be anxious. So that's something that I actually contribute to this process of not being anxious. You know, when you get the thought, God, you you can't be in control. Well, that's an anxious thought. God, you're not in control. Or, you know, God's not going to do what he said he was going to do. Or nobody understands. We make statements like that. That's those anxious thoughts. Second one would be this, inadequacy thoughts. It's easy for thoughts of inadequacy to come into our minds and set themselves up against the knowledge of who we are in God, keep that in context in this passage, and we begin to say things like, I'm never going to amount to anything. I'm unlovable. Nobody cares. If people really knew me, there's no way anybody would love me. God can't love me. When you start getting those thoughts, there's a stronghold of inadequacy that's being built in your mind that's going to be played out in your behavior. Most relational struggles that happen from people's insecurities and inadequacies come from out of fear that, that uh, you've got to control people and control how they think of you. Moses struggled with inadequacy. Remember when God called Moses to lead the children of Israel out of, the, out of the Egypt into the promised land? What was Moses' first thing? He said, find somebody else. I can't speak. I'm not a leader. And God had called him to do that. The, the lesson to be learned there is whatever God calls you to do, he is going to equip you to do it. So if God's called you to do something, he will equip you to do it. Thirdly, another place of strongholds in our life is lustful thoughts, lustful thoughts. Lustful thoughts are way more than just sexual. Obviously, that is one way lust is played out. But lust, by raw definition, is just wanting more or wanting wanting something that's not mine. And so when I let lustful thoughts or wanting more or wanting what's not mine get out of control. That's when the strongholds are built. That's, that's why pornography is such a dangerous thing in people's life because it's, it's, it's lust out of control. It's, it's a natural need that is, that is out of control and going beyond the boundaries of what God has laid out on how to get our natural needs met. Then there's angry thoughts. And it's not that you're never gonna get angry. It's what happens in your Anger. It's what do you do with that anger? God gets angry. So there's obviously a holy, righteous anger. But whenever you and I are angry, we gotta always ask ourselves the question, am I angry for the same reason God gets angry? 90% of the time, probably not. I'm angry because my feelings got hurt. I'm angry because things didn't go my way. I'm angry because somebody didn't do what they said they were gonna do, whatever it is. that's not always that righteous anger. But angry thoughts, angry strongholds Would be thoughts of unforgiveness. Somebody hurts you and you continue to say, No way, am I gonna forgive that person. Thoughts of unforgiveness will create a stronghold in you, a prison that you're actually trapped in. And so that's why over and over you see Jesus commanding us to forgive as you've been forgiven. How about vengeful thoughts? Somebody hurts you and you think, man, I'm going to get even. I'm going to square up with this person. They're going to get theirs. That's a stronghold in your mind of, of angry thoughts. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, if you want to learn about how, how he wants us to, to deal with anger and how we speak, he said that if you call somebody in anger a, a fool, you know, you're, you're in trouble. You're, your heart is in the wrong place. You're beginning to commit verbal murder. He says, if you call him a fool, you know, or just in your mind, you, you, you know, we've all been there, right? You get so mad at somebody and you think, oh, you oof, fill in the blank, right? And you, yeah, that, when that comes out, he's saying there's something going on in you that's causing you to be so angry that that's released from you. Then he said, if you go on and he uses this Aramaic term, he says, if you call, say raka to somebody, what that meant was is basically you were saying you're good for nothing, you worthless person. That's what Raqqa meant in Aramaic. That if you get to that place, he said, you're in danger of the fires of hell because your heart is in the wrong place. So it's a stronghold. Then there's critical thoughts, critical thoughts. We have to detox from critical thoughts. I'll ask you a question. What comes to mind when you see somebody that maybe doesn't look like you, think like you? When you see somebody's brokenness, whether it's self-inflicted or not, you see somebody's brokenness, do you think, man, serves them right? Is, that, is your thought life go more critical and, of people or is it more of compassion? I thought about this and I've been praying about whether I even say this or not, but this whole deal that happened with the movie shooting, James Holmes and that trial and, and things that you see in social media that people say and, Christians, say, and what that guy did is horrendous, and obviously, my family was not in that theater, and so I, my heart goes out to everybody in that, but when he didn't get the death penalty, and he got life in prison, what's most people, it was an outrage. To everybody that's outraged, this thought hit me, and, and I checked my own heart first, was have you prayed for the man? Have you prayed for him that God would save his soul from an eternal separation from him before you thought, yeah, give him judgment, give him this, give him that? And did you pray for him? We have to, that's hard. I mean, when we, it's easy to criticize government, it's easy to criticize somebody and saying how bad, what they're doing. When's the last time you prayed for that person that's in office? I mean, the scriptures are clear. We're to pray for people that, that lead, you know, that God had, had put there. We don't wanna let critical thoughts become a stronghold in our mind because it'll destroy you. It'll, it'll, you won't be like Jesus. You will not be conformed to his likeness. So what we need to do in all of these areas, anxious thoughts, inadequate thoughts, lustful thoughts, angry thoughts, critical thoughts, is we need to learn to capture these thoughts When they come into your mind, ask God to make you very sensitive to those thoughts. And when they come into your mind, say, you know what? That's not from God. That critical thought, that angry, unforgiving, vengeful thought, that's not from God. That lustful thought, that's not from God. That adequate thought, that doesn't line up with who God says I am. Those anxious thoughts, say that's not from God. Identify them and then capture them. Then do this. Second point I want to make is this. Then replace toxic thoughts with God's word and truth. Replace those toxic thoughts. You cleared out the cupboard of your mind, right? We got rid of the bleach and we got rid of this and we got rid of that. Put good stuff back in the cupboard. That's what God wants us to do. Identify, take them out, and then replace. Spiritual growth for each one of us is the process of replacing lies with truth. We have been sold a lot of lies all of our life about who we are, who God is, what life is about. Those lies need to be replaced with truth. And as we do that, we we realize that we are what we believe. I was thinking about this. Somebody says, Well, I got an anger problem. I've counseled people, I got an anger problem. My husband has an anger problem. I would say this Does that person have an anger problem or is it a belief problem? I think it's the latter. The person with an anger problem has trained their mind that it's okay for me to go off on somebody when I'm angry. It's okay for me to show my anger. It's okay. I believe it's okay for me to blow up when I get angry. Therefore, that they just act out what they believe. We act out whatever it is we believe, where ultimately it'll find itself in your behavior. Philippians 4.8, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right. Think about things that are pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. I wrote out some questions about this. Does what I'm thinking about line up with truth? Is it true? You can write that down in your fill-in. Is it true? Does what I'm thinking about line up with the truth? For example, there there are people in this room today and you're thinking to yourself, God doesn't love me. Does the thought that God doesn't love you line up with what the truth says? When I'm relying upon circumstances or I'm relying upon my feelings, which is a roller coaster ride in itself, then I don't know whether God really loves me or not. Because some days I feel very unlovable. How many know what I'm talking about? You agree. Some days I feel unlovable. Some days God feels 10 million miles away but that doesn't change what's true and what he's revealed about himself. That is so important. I remember when I was in like ninth grade and I had first heard the gospel and uh, I called a Billy Graham hotline. <laughs> I called, I saw it on TV and he had had a, some sort of thing and I, you know, we weren't super church goers or whatever. So I remember calling, I was like, I, I said, I don't, I don't want to go to hell. I, I want to be saved. I want to follow Jesus. And they were like, okay, you know, let me just pray with you. And after we prayed, I didn't feel anything. And I thought for sure, if you're a Christian, you feel it, right? Like you, people talk like they, God's sitting next to them all the time and they feel him and he, he's audibly in their voice all the time. And so I didn't feel that. How many relate to what I'm talking about there. I did that in the ninth grade. I still sometimes do that today. I remember crying on the phone. I'm like, but I don't feel it, man. And the guy was like, uh, are you okay? Are you by yourself? Because you need some help now. But he was like, you know, it's not about feelings. It's about what's true. How about this? I've heard people say this, and you've heard people say this. God's okay with me sinning. This, he, he's okay with this. We justify certain things. God's okay with me you know, being angry and blowing up at people. God's okay with me leaving my spouse. He wants me happy. Whatever it is, fill in the blank. Well, that's not true. Jesus said that God's word was truth. And so ask yourself the question, is what I'm thinking, does it line up with scripture? Is there an obvious thing in scripture that what I'm meditating on or thinking about, does it go against what the scriptures teach? Then I would ask this question. Does my thinking honor God and his purposes for me? Is it honorable? The word honor means that which has value and that which has worth. It's what I'm meditating on consistently. Does it have worth? Does it have value? And then is my thought life righteous? Let's think about those things that are right. And righteousness is something that conforms to God's rightness. There's a rightness about God. He's perfect and holy and altogether separate. And so there's a rightness about things that God tells us to do and not to do, uh, things to avoid, things to do. All of that is part of God's righteousness, his standard of how he's told us to live. The most important thing anybody can ever understand when it comes to following God is that when God tells us to do something or not to do do it, it's out of love. He knows what's best for us. So if he tells you to do something or not to do it, it's because he knows, he wants you to ultimately have true joy and for him to glorify himself in your life. And then you can ask yourself this question, "Am, am I meditating on things that are holy and pure? There's the pure part there. That's cleanness versus corruptness you know toxic and untoxic I got a brought just visual illustration here I got a a bottle of really nice clean drinking water which I need I'm parched anyway but then I got this bottle of water here it's got some gross stuff that I picked out of the gas and it's got dirt and fertilizer and Anybody want to drink? Thirsty? When you let your thought life go down the row way of impurity, whether it's anger, lust, and all of that, this is what we're drinking from. And nobody in this room, in your right mind, is going to drink this. It'd make you sick, right? And yet, in my thought life, I entertain things that I know is this. We're we're attracted to this so, so much because somehow we think, is this really maybe better than this? Because we have to say, no way. God knows what's best for me. And let's drink from the true and living pure water of his word and what he's told us to do. And then is my mind filled with things that are lovely to God? What is lovely to God? You know what's lovely to God? Humility, joy, joy. Peace, patience, all the fruits of the spirit. Those are lovely to God. Those characteristics are lovely to God because that's who God is. Would my thought life be fit for hearing? Is it admirable? Would somebody admire what I'm thinking? If there could be a microphone stuck in my head and you could hear what I'm thinking. Would you admire it or go, whoa, I had no idea you thought that. <laughs> Sometimes that's truthful. <laughs> I have to take those thoughts captive just, just like you. But we, we need to constantly be guarding our minds. It is the battle. It is the train car that's pulling your feelings and emotions, your behavior, and the consequences of your life constantly so this is why this is so important and this was the first message that needed to be spoken was what goes on in my thought life jesus said this he said you will know the truth and the truth will set you free we replace toxic thoughts with truth That's his promise, that when we know the truth, it's gonna set us free. If you feel bound up today, you feel like you're in a prison, spiritually, emotionally, whatever, then you need the truth to set you free, and the truth is the gospel. The truth is that God loved you so much that he gave Jesus to come and live and die and raise from the dead so that we could have real life and the promise of eternal life. It's ours. So you know what we honestly need is We need a daily intake of this word, not just on Sunday. Don't just come and hear a message, but you begin the discipline of getting scripture into your mind and into your heart. There's too many invisible influences. There's too much spiritual carbon monoxide going on around us that we're breathing in, that I need this to direct my life. Paul said this in Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So there's that transformation. Again, it happens in the mind. I've got to change my beliefs. Repentance in itself really just means a change of mind. I changed my mind. I was going in this direction. I changed my mind. I want to go in God's direction. So couple things I'm gonna conclude with this and we're gonna take communion in a minute together. I need to know and believe what the Bible says about a few things. I need to learn and, and think great thoughts and right thoughts. First of all, I'll write this down, about God. I need to think rightly about God. Who is God? Is God is sovereign, he's holy, he's loving, he's merciful. He's all wise, he's all powerful. I need to think have a high view of God, a right view of God. I need to know, if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Jesus is the face of God. He said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He and the Father are one. A.W. Tozer, he said, what comes to our, in our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I agree. Then I need to know and believe what the Bible says about me. You need to know what the Bible says about you. Zephaniah 3.17 is such a beautiful picture of the heart of God and what he thinks of you. The scripture says that that God dances over you. He rejoices over you. He sings over you that's pretty cool. Anybody that's been a parent, you've had your kid and you're singing to him and, and just loving on him, just like Grant's doing right now, just loving little, Gra- his little boy. And, and just that's, God does that with us. He sings over us. He cares for us. Let me ask you a question. Do you know how much you're loved? If you don't, it's partly because you're not, you're not understanding what he says here God has revealed how much he loves you in this book in what he did through Jesus for God so loved you that he gave his son for you if you don't know how much you're loved then you're not going to to know who you truly are a faulty view of ourselves then I'm left to the opinions of others How do other people, what have other people told me about me? Ah, you're inadequate, you're good for nothing, you're this or that. Well, ultimately, then I'm going to see myself that way. Do you know who you are in Christ? Let me give you a quick homework assignment. Write this down. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, I'll just give you a drive-by here, says that we are blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. That's good means we're spiritual billionaires because of Jesus, that we've been adopted into God's family, that we were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, that because of Jesus, you're holy and blameless in his sight. I wonder how many in this room right now feel holy and blameless in the sight of almighty God. He says you're holy and blameless in the sight of God because of what Jesus did. Chosen, we have the hope of Christ, the hope of glory. I mean that He's given us the Holy Spirit as a deposit guarantee. And I mean these, it's I circled in Christ in Ephesians chapter one, and there's like twenty beautiful truths and promises about just in that chapter itself about who we are in Christ. I need to know and believe what the Bible says about other people. How do I view other people? First Samuel six sixteen seven says that man looks at the outward appearance but God knows and looks at the heart. Do we see people as God sees them? Or am I quick to be critical? Am I quick to be judging of other people? You know, Jesus said, judge not lest you be judged, right? I think the reason we're told not to judge is, and that's different than accountability. You see me not living a Christ-like life and vice versa, we should challenge each other. Not in a holy, pious, holier-than-thou, but there is, it's for our own good. But the judging and casting a judgment on somebody, the reason we're not allowed to do that is because you're not God. Only God knows the beginning from the end and everybody's experiences and what they've been through in life and why they're where they're at. So we need to see others correctly. I need to think right thoughts about others. I need to think right thoughts about life itself. Jesus said that life is not about acquiring and accumulating stuff and money, but what is truly important. You know how you'll know what's truly important in your life? If you were on your deathbed, where would you have regret? If that happened to you today, where would you have regret? What relationship needed more of your time and attention? What person needed more of your time and attention? What things do you, would you say coulda, shoulda, woulda? That's life. You begin to, because that's what happens inside. Nobody on their deathbed thinks, I wish I would've worked more. That would've been awesome. I wish I would've you know, done, you know, worked harder and been away more. No, it's, man, I wish I would've had more time with those that are closest to me. Life is about relationships. Our relationship with God on our relationship with one another. And then thinking right thoughts about the future. You know this passage, Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, give you hope and a future. Listen, the best is yet to come. Because if you're going into eternity with Jesus, the best is yet to come. Stop trying to make heaven on earth. It doesn't work. This place is not heaven. We are are pilgrims passing through to go to where God, God ultimately, the place of no sin, no death, no sorrow. So we're here to have impact, to love him, and to love people. We can be spiritually optimistic because of God's promises. Regardless of what happens in your life, we have a future, a hope, and a future. Then I need to think rightly about the past. Paul talks about in Philippians Excuse me, about you know, forgetting what is behind and pressing on for, forward in the upward call of God and Christ. So forget the past. Listen, those of you that are hampered by your past, your sin, your mistakes, your failures, the devil loves to come and show those old home movies. The other day I found this video camera and it had a bunch of... Uh, video of my kids when they were really young and it was, it was cool to, to watch that. You know what the devil likes to do? He likes to bring your past up and say, uh-huh, uh-huh, you know what? Jesus, when he died and you put your faith in him, he said your, your sin is as far as the east is from the west. I mean, it's gone. He doesn't see that. So we need to think rightly about that as well. Learn from, let it go, but learn from your past. And then life's challenges. Many in this room are going through some difficult challenges. James tells us to consider it pure joy when we go through the trials because they produce in us perseverance. They strengthen our faith. Nobody says, yay, I'm in the middle of a challenge. I'm in the middle of a trial. This is so great. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, look beyond this trial and what you're going to go through God is going to strengthen your faith. God is going to make you better. He's going to make you closer to Him because of it. I was thinking about this. It's easy to act like a Christian, it's difficult to react as one. Easy to act like a Christian, look at me, hey. But then all of a sudden something bad happens, boom. How do I react when I'm stepped on? How do I see life's challenges? And here's such a key, guys. This is so important, man. I'm telling you from my own experience and where I know God has taken me and where he wants to take each one of you today that are going through difficulties. I'm telling you, there's so much pain in people's lives and it just, we're just aware of that. If we could just see it on any given day of the, the things that people are going through. Here's the truth. Life's challenges are either you're either going to see them as a dead end or a detour. When you can learn to see life's challenges as a detour, my life's not over, it's not a dead end because I'm going through what I'm going through, you'll see life's challenges right. You'll detox your mind Because one thing the enemy loves to do is to bring those toxins of life's trials and begin to tell you God doesn't love you. God doesn't care for you. You're going to amount to on and on and on and on. And all of a sudden it's toxic. So you'll stumble over life's trials. Life's trials, life's challenges, they're not a dead end, they're a detour. God wants to take you somewhere else through the, that detour. And, it's, and that, that detour is always taking you closer to him, and he's changing and morphing your character to become more like Jesus. We're gonna take communion together. And as we prepare our hearts for communion, I wanna tell you something. I love taking communion. Some people don't realize the power of communion, but I love taking communion because it's a reminder that we get a fresh start. That no matter where we've been, we get a fresh start. The bread represents his broken body and the cup represents his blood that was shed to give us new life. And this morning, without moving too fast, without feeling like we're just gonna get this done, I want you to think for a moment. What are those toxic areas of your thought life right now? Is it inadequacy? Is it anxiousness? Is it anger, lust, those strongholds? When you take the the bread and the, the cup this morning, let it cleanse you. We're told in Scripture to examine ourselves before we go to the communion table. And it's one of the sacred things that God gave us, that Jesus told us to do. As often as we can to remember that his body was broken and his blood was shed to give us a true rightness with him, a true righteousness. That's why he can forgive and that's why we get that fresh start this morning. I wonder this morning, has God convicted you about your thought life? Good. Convicted me all week long. So I'm thinking, man, I got a lot of work to do, Lord. You got a lot of work to do. But when you take the elements this morning, remember what repentance is. Repentance is changing your mind. It's the first step towards going back to God. That's all he says is repent. Change your thinking. Change your mind. And that then you will act differently. You'll feel differently. You start there. And then you receive forgiveness. You receive grace. If anybody in this room... You're unsure whether you're a follower of Jesus. You're unsure whether you're a Christian. You don't become a Christian by joining a church, signing a piece of paper or anything like that. You become a Christian by putting your faith in what Jesus did and believing that he came as a man and he lived a perfect life and he died on a cross as our substitute both in his perfect righteousness and his pain, the penalty of our sin, he was our substitute. And if you'll put your faith in him and say, Lord, I want you to be my savior. Come into my life. I give you my life. I don't want to be casual about my faith. I want you to be the center of my life. You be the Lord. I want to turn from self and, and these destructive things in my life and turn to you. I give my life over to you. That's how you become a Christian. And then from there, he begins to, to change you. So many people think that becoming a Christian means I clean up my life. Eh, the cleaning up of your life happens after you put your faith and hope in Jesus. And we're imperfect people following a perfect Savior. So I would, uh, today, if you've never done that, today's the day. Do it before you take the elements. Get that fresh start. So what we're going to do is we're going to move, and parents, as part of novation, we leave that up to you to when you feel your kids are ready uh, to take communion, that they understand what we're doing here this morning. But what you're going to do is move. There's two tables. Would you go and grab a piece of bread and a cup and come back to your chair as we sing this song and we'll take the elements together.